All right, so we have been journeying together through the book of 1 Corinthians, which is a letter that Paul is writing to the church in Corinth uh, while he is on his third church planting journey. On his second church planting journey, he planted the church in Corinth. After planting the church there and discipling them for a long period of time, a number of months, even years, he traveled on and he's gotten word back that this church in Corinth has now really started derailing, mostly because they have bought back into much of what the culture teaches. And so now the cultural realities have filtered into the church and the church is looking just like the culture. That is what you never want. You never want to go, oh, the church looks exactly like the culture around it. We are supposed to, as a church, look very different than the culture, not in a way that elevates us, but in a way that makes beautiful the redemptive realities of Christ and displays the freedom that we have discovered in that redemption. And the church at Corinth was not doing that. They also had bought into what the culture told them was the way to extract value. And so the people in the church in Corinth were acting like the culture saying, I am valuable when I have position. I am valuable when I have power. I am valuable when I have prosperity. So my job in whichever community I find myself in is to determine how I can get position, power, and prosperity, and then I will matter to that community and I will be something important. That's what the culture told them. So now in the church they were doing the same thing. So they were behaving in a way that was completely opposite to the beautiful invitation of the gospel. Paul has dealt with a number of different aspects of everyday practical life with them about how it ought to be and how they're doing it and what the, the, the move back to the gospel is. And most recently in chapter 12, he has been dealing in the area of spiritual gifts because the church in Corinth had taken something that was intended to be a beautiful gift given to an individual for the sake of the body, to unify the body, and they were using it actually to bring disunity and to elevate themselves above others, saying my gifting's better than your gifting, my gifting's more powerful than your gifting, and therefore I'm more special than you. And so Paul's writing to them going, you guys have got this dead wrong. In the midst of unpacking the realities on all the spiritual gifts and how they function and why they exist and how we ought to use them and who has them and who doesn't, he then stops and in chapter 13, he kind of takes a big step back and goes, look, look, let me just clarify. What I'm trying to say is that everything we do needs to be for the sake of love, not for the sake of self. It needs to be for the sake of displaying God's love. Uh, for people, to people, and for loving them. So the spiritual gifts are given not for you, but for you to utilize as a tool to love others on behalf of Christ so that he would be no made known to them. You with me? Now, in chapter 14, Paul is going to uh, sort of focus in to two of the spiritual gifts and deal specifically with them. He's going to be dealing with the gift of tongues and the gift of prophecy. And you might say, why those two? Well, because you can imagine that if you are utilizing the spiritual gifts of the Holy Spirit to elevate yourselves, which ones do you think you might use to demonstrate your power? Well, you're going to use the ones that have a supernatural expression, right? So all the gifts are supernaturally given, administration and mercy and, and, and wisdom and faith and, and all of them, uh, including prophecy and tongues and miracles and healing. 
So they all are supernatural gifts given supernaturally, but some of them have a supernatural expression. So the ones that have a supernatural expression are things like tongues, prophecy, healing, miracles, right? And so what Paul's doing is he's focusing in on two of the gifts that have a supernatural expression because the supernatural gifts were being grossly misused to try to demonstrate power in an individual and also to try to demonstrate that the Spirit of God was manifesting himself because they had a supernatural expression. Now, why is Paul honing down from the gifts that are supernatural into these particular two, prophecy and tongues? Well, it's really fairly simple. Because if you want a gift that you can easily display without being tested on whether it's authentic or not, miracles is a little difficult, isn't it? Because you could go, I turned this water into wine, and when someone tastes it and goes, it tastes like water, then it's kind of like, well, it didn't work. And if they go, well, I'm telling you it's wine, and you go, it's still clear like water, it didn't work. And so to fake the gift of miracles is difficult, and so they're easily tested. The gift of, um, of uh, healing is the same way. If somebody's sick, and you go, oh, I'm going to pray over you, and then you're done, and they're still sick, you kind of go, well, it didn't really work now, did it? Well, I have the gift of healing, I'm telling you I do. Well, they're still sick. And so um, it is very difficult to take those particular gifts and use them in a manner that's easy to bring to the table, elevate yourself, and yet not be able to be tested. But tongues and prophecy are very difficult to test and easy to fake. Or if you happen to have them, they are easy to misuse, and when they are misused, their misuse has tremendous detriment to the church. See, if I actually have the gift of healing, but I'm secretly using it to elevate myself, every time I heal a person, that's still pretty cool, isn't it? I mean, yes, I, I hope your motives are right, but that person is healed, and that's awesome. But when you use tongues or prophecy inappropriately, it doesn't only have a decent impact or a neutral impact, it has a devastating impact. And so Paul is saying, in the church, obviously, the gifts that are most grossly misused are the ones called tongues and prophecy. And then what has happened is in that misuse of the gifts, it has created bondage for the church. Some are bound to the gifts, elevating them to a place they never belonged and saying, if you don't have these, you're not even cool. You're not even right. You're not even spiritual. You don't even have the spirit. And to others, experiencing the horror of the gifts, it created a despising of those gifts, a fear of them. And so they were like, we're never going to use them. We're never going to see them. We don't want them because they're horrid. And so bondage was created on one side and bondage was created on the other side. And what Paul wants to do right now is go, this is ridiculous if we just understand them and use them appropriately, then they will not create bondage but freedom. And in freedom, they will create the wonder of God's beautiful redemptive story. It should be that way. And that's what chapter 14 is going to be about. The church in Corinth is publicly utilizing the gifts very badly, these two, prophecy and tongues, and Paul is now going to correct all of that, and we have the privilege of listening in to that correction and learning a tremendous amount from it. So grab your Bibles and turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 14. If you're using one of the Bibles we provide, we are on page 663. 663, if you're using a smart device or one of your own Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1. So, 
First Corinthians chapter 14, verse one, he's coming right out of chapter 13, where he has just said, love should be the motive to all things. This is for love, about love, because it is for love that we were made uh, in Christ as ambassadors of redemption and ambassadors of God's love. So if it's not for love, then don't even bother doing it. And now look what he says, verse one, chapter 14. Pursue love. Do you see where he's starting? He's reminding us right away, what is this gonna be about? The pursuit of love, to be able to love people well. If you're not doing that, then the entire chapter falls apart anyways. But look what he says. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. So what Paul's trying to do right off the bat is he's trying to say, what I'm not trying to say is that you ought to abandon the spiritual gifts because they're dangerous when they're misused, right? He's saying, now listen, pursue love and certainly by all means earnestly desire the gifts. Why? Because the gifts, when they are given for the sake of being ambassadors of Christ, are a powerful tool by which we can love people. Just like your circumstances, relationships, resources are powerful tools by which you can make the gospel known, and so they are good to have, but when misused, they are ridiculous, right? So he's like, don't abandon them, desire them, but what for? To pursue love. Now he's gonna go into the details. He says, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies, builds up the church. Now this seems like a sort of an an odd opening paragraph because he seems to be comparing tongues and prophecy and saying prophecy is better than tongues, which is oddly enough the very opposite of what we thought Paul was trying to do. He doesn't want to elevate one gift above the other. He wants to say they're equal because he did in chapter 12. Paul is not trying to compare gifts here. What he's doing is this. He's setting up uh, his argument for the way the gifts are being utilized. So, Tongues are being utilized in the biblical community as a proclamation, so in other words, a public proclamation, and prophecy is being utilized in the biblical community as a public proclamation. The difference is when someone's prophesying, they're prophesying in a language everybody understands. You with me? And when they're doing the tongue thing, they're getting up and proclaiming tongues, but nobody's understanding it. And what they're saying is, because I can do this gift, that's what demonstrates the manifestation of the Spirit, and that's what makes it cool. And what Paul's saying here is this, if you're gonna use tongues in that way, get up and proclaim, and nobody understands you, then what use is it? Certainly it's not nearly as good as prophecy that at least have some purpose, right? Because somebody can understand you. If you're getting up and speaking in tongues, you're not building up the body, you're building up yourself. And tongues is not meant to build yourself up. He's speaking in the context of public proclamation. He's saying when you use tongues as a public proclamation and nobody understands you, all you're really doing is saying, look at me while I build myself up. Does that sound like the church? Do we, should we stand around and go, oh, look, 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 Bob's building himself up again. How awesome is that? Everybody in awe of Bob. No, that's not how it works, right? So he's like, look, if you're going to use prophecy in tongues and you're going to use tongues as a public proclamation, I want you to know prophecy is the way to go. Tongues is useless because nobody gets you. Now he's going he's to expand on this. Look at this. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues 
And so now there you are. You're like, oh, well, there he just said it. One, he wants all of us to prophesy and all of us to speak in tongues. Some will extrapolate from that verse that we're all supposed to have the gift of tongues and the gift of prophecy. Except that Paul in chapter 12 said we're not, right? Remember I said, do all speak in tongues? By all means, no. Do all prophesy? No. Do all have, have the, the gift of hospitality? No. We all have unique separate gifts. So why is Paul now saying, I want all of you to do this? He's not meaning Everyone should do it. He's meaning this should not be a gift that is uh, exclusive of any one person and not another. Any one of us could have the gift of prophecy or the gift of tongues. This is not like oh, only the elders get that one because, you know, it's super cool. Why would Paul say that? Because remember, the people in Corinth are seeking position and power by their gifting. And he's saying this is a gift for anyone according to whomever God chooses to give it. I want all of you to know that. And in the context of public proclamation, uh, I want all of you to be able to speak in tongues, but I'd rather have you prophesy if it's going to be in public because what's the point if you don't understand it, okay? Now take a look at this. Look what he says now. Now brothers, um, we're going down to verse uh, six. Now brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments, such as the flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if a bugle gives a, an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? Paul is now using an illustration. You see, in the verse before verse 5, he ended this way. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless, here it is, unless someone interprets so that the church might be built up. What is he saying? If there is not clarity out of these gifts and truth is not brought to clarity, then the gift is pointless in any kind of public proclamation. So tongues is equally as powerful as prophecy when what happens? When someone's telling you what on earth the guy's saying, right? But if you don't understand, then it's pointless. And then he uses this beautiful illustration of instruments. Have any of you guys ever watched a two or three-year-old discover a guitar? Does that sound beautiful to you? No. Uh, we have a piano in our house. A little, you know, little, little piano for our kids that play piano. And our little ones inevitably find their way to the piano. And you know what they do? They turn the volume all the way up. It's one of those little electric ones. And then they don't, they don't play some beautiful song. They bang. You go, boing, boing, boing. It's, and they go, hi, boing, boing. And then, boing, boing. And, you, and if you're in the kitchen, you want to run over to the piano and burn it, right? You're just like, that is the most horrifying experience in the world. But when you have someone skilled to be able to play distinct notes in a particular order, what comes out of that piano? The most extraordinary and beautiful sounds. So the same instrument can bring horror or can bring beauty depending on how it's used. A bugle was used in war and the person who was playing it had a, a, the ability to make distinct sounds and each sound said something to the army. If you blew one sound, it meant charge. If you blew another sound, it meant retreat. So Paul's saying, listen, if someone's banging on a piano, that's horrible. If someone is playing the bugle and the army's out there and they need instruction and the guy goes, boot, boot, and they're like, what, what does he mean? Boot, boot. Do, we, do we charge? Do we retreat? What are they going to do? Paul, guys, people die when that happens. See, what Paul's trying to say is this. 
when these beautiful gifts are utilized inappropriately and people don't understand them in clarity, in other words, they don't bring any clarity to the people of the church, then they are like a banging piano. They are like a bugle that gives no instruction to the army. And this is not neutral, folks. This is terrible. He's trying to say that these gifts used appropriately are powerful and beautiful, used inappropriately are horrible and dangerous. So there is no neutral here. You either do them right or they're very bad. You you get what he's saying? Now look what he's saying here. Look what he says here. He says, um, if the bugle sounds and it's indistinct, how will the army know what to do? And then he says this. So, with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world and none of them without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to you, to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. See, the people there were utilizing the supernaturally expressed spiritual gifts as a means to demonstrate a manifestation of God. They were saying, see, God is more present, more powerful, more manifest when I'm speaking in tongues or I'm prophesying than when I'm being hospitable or I'm being administrative in those giftings. And what Paul's saying is, no, the manifestation of God is not proven by the supernaturally expressed gifts. The manifestation of God is proven when people try to build each other up and love others. So he said, if you want a manifestation of the Spirit, then love each other and love the world and forget these stupid gifts that are no good when you're misusing them. And so they are not in of themselves anything special. They are tools by which we can do special things. And that is to build up the body of Christ and love the world. Okay, now Paul is going to go on. Look at this. He says, therefore, verse 13, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he interprets. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do then? Now you would think what Paul's about to say is this. Since when I pray in the spirit, in this particular context, meaning I'm praying in a language I don't understand, then uh, that is unfruitful to my mind, so therefore you would think he would say, don't pray in the spirit, right? Because it's unfruitful to the mind. But he doesn't say that, look what he says. He says this, what am I to do then? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray also with my mind. I will sing praise in my spirit, but I will sing praise also with my mind. He's saying, look, when this gifting of tongues is utilized uh, as a means by which your spirit is interacting with God, don't elevate that to a place above or more powerful than just praying or just worshiping. Why not? Because then we have taken what is a gifting and we have made it something, since we express it supernaturally, more than it was ought ever to be. It is fruitful to pray and worship with the language you know. And so if you are utilizing a language that is a language of the Spirit and that's all you're doing, then the experience is fruitless for the mind. But if you do both together, then it is fruitful for the Spirit and the mind if you happen to have that gifting. That's what he's trying to say. Now look what he says. He's going to unpack this further. Otherwise, he says, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen? So now, 
Now this gives us the beautiful picture again of the context. We've got to stay in the context. The people of Corinth were trying to use the gift of tongues in a public way as a proclamation. So they were saying, look at me, I can speak in tongues. Are we worshiping in a worship service? Loudly I will speak in tongues so that you know I'm giving thanks in some awesome, cool, spiritual language, which is obviously much better than English, or in that case, you know, Greek or Arabic or Hebrew. So, and what he's saying is, no. When somebody around you does not understand what you're praying or does not understand what you're singing, how can they be unified with you in that prayer or in that singing? And whenever we are praying in public or we are worshiping in public, it is for the purpose of unity, not the purpose of disunity. And so whenever you are in a place where you are publicly doing something, the people ought to understand it. Why? Because if they don't, it's no good to them. They can't agree with you and they can't test you. And that's inappropriate. And so he's like, don't, don't do that. That's, that's not good. And look what he says. He says this, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, there's the context again, in church, in the public setting with others, I would rather speak the words with my mind, uh, rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. It's like, look, when we are together and I am proclaiming something, you better understand it. Otherwise, it's no good to you and you can't test it. And that's no good to me and no good to the gospel. Now he's gonna go on. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil. But in your thinking, be mature. In the law, it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners, I will speak to the people and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus, tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. While prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. So what has he just said? When we are utilizing the gift of tongues as a public proclamation and nobody understands it, okay, that is not a sign to believers that you're super cool. You with me? That's not a sign of the manifestation of the Spirit. That doesn't somehow say God is more present than in a place where tongues is not being proclaimed. This tongues was never meant as a sign to the church, to the believers, that the Spirit is present. That happens by the fruit of the Spirit, which is very different, okay? But prophecy was meant for the church to proclaim truth in a unique way to the church so that they would be able to understand the clarities of God's word in a beautiful way that applies to their lives. So prophecy is good for the church. Tongues without interpretation as a proclamation is no good for the church. Tongues was intended for the unbelieving world to experience God. Okay, now look what he says. This is super interesting. Look at this. He says this. If therefore, verse 23, If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convinced by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his hearts are disclosed and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is a reality among you. Now that sounds awesome except that's exactly the opposite of what Paul just said. See, Paul just said, tongues is for the unbeliever, prophecy is for the church. Then he says, so if an unbeliever comes in the church and you're speaking in tongues, they'll think you're stupid and leave. 
But if you're speaking in prophecy, then they'll think you're awesome and they'll come to know Jesus. And I'm like, Paul, you just said tongues was for the unbeliever, now you say tongues is gonna scare the unbeliever. I don't even understand. Here's what Paul is doing. He's not changing his mind. He is demonstrating the beauty of when these gifts are used appropriately and inappropriately and how they affect things. When tongues, as a proclamation, is used appropriately as a means by bringing clarity to the word of God and the gospel through an interpreter or the gift of tongues where you speak and someone else understands you in their own language, then is it powerful for the unbeliever? Yes, I mean in Pentecost, Peter spoke and everybody understood him and what did they say? How is it that we are all understanding this man? It was an authentication of the gospel for them. But if they come into the church and you are proclaiming in tongues and there's no interpretation, then it's weird. Then it's weird and it's not helping them and they're gonna flee for their lives. But at least if you're prophesying, they'll be able to get something out of it. Do you see what he's saying? So he's saying when the gift is used properly, it is a beautiful sign to the unbeliever. When it is used improperly, it is a disaster to the unbeliever. It is a disaster to the church. It is a disaster to the gospel. See, Paul is trying to bleed into us the seriousness of misusing these gifts or using them well. Now look, he goes on. So after he said all of this, he jumps in here. Verse 26, the very next verse. What then, brothers? When you come together, each one of you has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done that, I mean, for building up the church, okay? That's for building up the gospel of the world. For all things to build up. Now look what he says. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only one or two, or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. And if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in the church and speak to himself and to God. Here's what Paul's saying. If you're going to utilize the gift of tongues in a manner that is proclaiming as a proclamation for public consumption, if there's not someone that interprets it, shut it. It's not appropriate. It is useless. In fact, it's worse than useless. It's like a bugle playing the wrong notes to an army. It's like a piano being banged on. Don't do it, okay? So, by the way, as a side note, we have looked into this word interpret, okay? The interpretation or interpreter. This does not mean you have a feeling like you think you know what they're saying, okay? I see this all the time. Someone speaking in tongues, does anyone understand them? God is giving me secret revelation as to what they're saying. That is not interpretation. That's you guessing. You need to be able to actually understand what they're saying. Like you hear it and you go, oh, no, you guys don't understand that? No, we don't. Well, I don't understand how you don't. It sounds like English to me. Or, oh my gosh, that's Norwegian. I speak Norwegian. Okay? So when an interpreter says they can interpret and what they mean is, I think God is showing me beautifully what this person means. You're not interpreting them. You're interpreting yourself. You're, you're making stuff up. And even if it's true, I can't test it so it's irrelevant. If I can't test that it's true, it's no good because it might not be tested appropriately. So if, Paul says, if somebody gets up to proclaim in a language others don't understand, you better have someone that understands that can interpret, otherwise shut it and go do it in quiet where it's just you and God. So I love that Paul is still making that appropriate, right? 
totally appropriate to go pray in the spirit as long as you are fruitful with the mind as well with God, but that is private prayer, not public proclamation. Because public proclamation in this gifting without interpretation is super weird and it makes unbelievers run for their lives and it confuses the rest of us. And Paul goes, why? I don't even get it. And by the way, if you are gonna do it and there happens to be an interpreter, one of you speaks and one person interprets. And when they are good and done, then if somebody else has something to say, they can say it. But don't be interrupting each other. See guys, this is normal English stuff. We ought not to be doing these things in English. And Paul's just going, you ought not to be doing them in your normal language. Why would you do them in tongues? Well, because God gave me that. No, he didn't. Not the way you're using it. That's what Paul's trying to say. So look what he says next. He says this. But if all prophets, I'm sorry, I'm too far up. So then he says this. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. This is fascinating. Let the first be silent for you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and be encouraged and the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets for God is not a God of confusion but of peace. Here he's saying this, now he's finally clarified prophecy. He said when tongues is utilized as a proclamation, there better be interpreter and the interpreter better actually understand what they're saying. And then the interpreter, when he speaks words we can all understand, can be tested by the leadership of the church. Does it align with the word of God? If it doesn't, then we can test it. If it's in a language I don't understand, I can't test you. If you think you know what he's saying, that's not right. And when you prophesy, he says, when a prophet speaks, his words are still under scrutiny. He is to be tested by the others who have the same gifting so that then it can be said, no, this prophecy is legit because it lines up with the truth of God. And if it doesn't line up, well then there's a flaw in the system. And we'll talk about that in just a few minutes. So prophets don't just get to go prophesying all day long. Those who are gifted in prophecy must still be tested by the others who are gifted in prophecy among them. I'll explain that in just a minute. And so he says this. He says, the secrets are, but if all, I'm up there again, here we go. So, for God is not a God of confusion, but a God of peace. Next verse. As in all the churches of the saints, the woman should keep silent in the, you know what, let's skip that verse and the next one. I do not want to talk about that. We're going to go to verse 36. All right, verse 36. All, okay, we're not skipping it completely. Those two verses are an entire sermon for next week, okay? Legit, come back next week, we'll deal with that. That I could not add into this sermon. I'm already gonna run out of time. There's some fascinating stuff there, but we are not touching that one with a 10-foot pole until next week, okay? So skip verse 34 and verse 35. We'll get to that next week. Here's this week, verse 36. Or was it from you that the word of God came? He's speaking in the context now of prophets thinking that because they've got the gift of prophecy, they hold the authority of God's word, right? So that when you say, thus saith the Lord, somehow that makes you able to speak at the same authority of God's word and not need to be tested. He just said, prophets better be tested by prophets. And I saying, why, do you think because you have the gift of prophecy that you can just come and say whatever you want and it goes? Do you think because you have the gift of prophecy, you hold the same authority as I, Paul do? What is Paul writing? The Bible, you understand? So he's saying, when I write you something, you gotta understand I'm an apostle, which means I have a specific office that's very important to writing this, and if I say it by the Spirit, then you are submitting to it, and if you don't, then your gift of prophecy isn't even valid. Look, he says it this way, watch. Or was it from you that the word of God came? 
Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. I love that. So my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. So Paul is saying, listen, these gifts are beautiful and powerful, but they can be misused and often are, and when they are, they are devastating, dangerous, and damaging, and hurtful, and so you cannot do that. And if you use them properly and with proper instruction, they can be beautiful, but they must always be submitted to the realities of testing and to the building up of the body. So that's a lot of ground we've covered in scripture. Allow me to take about 10 minutes and summarize for you, not only with this passage, but with the whole counsel of scripture, what we conclude about prophecy in tongues from these passages in terms of what it is, how it works, if it works, if it's still around, and if so, how it is utilized in the body of believers. Okay, so here's what we know so far. Let's start with prophecy. Prophecy in all of its forms is essentially the supernatural insight into the truth of things, the truths of God. God gives this person who has the gifting of prophecy the ability to have supernatural insight into truth. Now, in that definition, in typical theological worlds, there are three primary uh, places where prophecy is expressed. The first is in the Old Testament prophets. There were prophets in the Old Testament. They were called prophets. They obviously prophesied, and they were part of the authoring of this incredible thing called the Word of God, okay? So their prophecy, when they got it wrong, do you know what happened to them? They were stoned, and it was tested by simply seeing if what they said turned out to be true. There was a lot of foretelling in there because it was foretelling the will of God and foretelling the future story of God because it hadn't been written down. The office of prophet translated into the office of apostle. There were apostles, people that had walked with Jesus. Paul was one of them. The disciples were the other 12. And they also wrote with an authority that equaled this. Why? Because they were writing this, Okay. So their authority was extraordinary and their responsibility as extraordinary and the consequences of getting it wrong was death, okay? So that's a big deal. The office of prophet, which is one of the ways prophecy was expressed, which equals the word of God, that ceased after the prophets died and the apostles died because the word of God was complete. We do not need people writing new truth because we already have the whole counsel of God here. But that does not mean that the gifting of prophecy has ceased because the gifting of prophecy can still play out in supernatural insight into the truths of God. It's not a set of new truths. It is the unique ability to study the word of God, read the word of God, see the word of God, and see insights and and, and clarifications of truth that bring it to life for the church of God and uniquely apply it so that in each setting it is applied well. So there are two kinds of expressions in the gift of prophecy after the office of prophet and apostle ended. The one is a person giving the gift to uniquely study this thing, see deeply into it, and communicate it in a way that clarifies and applies to a particular situation. Also, those who are given a unique word from the Spirit of God for the people or a person 
tested and tied to this that helps them gain clarity and application of the Word of God. So, some prophets will receive a, a word from God that is born out of this to bring to someone or the church to say, hey, I feel like God is just asking us to do this or, or to remember this or to be part of this. And then the person preaching the word of God gifted in pr- the prophetic is able to bring unique insight into this. Those two particular forms of prophecy are still very much in active work today because they do not hold the same authority as the prophets of old did writing the scriptures. They are submitted to the scriptures. So we must test anything coming out of the mouth of someone who has the prophetic gifting. Why? If God's giving them the message, thus saith the Lord, why should we test it? Here's why. Because when a prophet, a person gifted, not a prophet office, a person gifted in prophecy, receives something from God, whether it is a word from God aligned with scripture for the church or someone, or whether it is the unique ability to study and see insight, right? Then that might come from God. It might come from their own flesh, themselves, their own mind, or it might come from actually spirits trying to influence truth so that we would be, have mistruth in the church. We don't know what spirit that comes from. And so in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, John writes and says, always test all of the spirits as words come out of people's mouths because we don't know. If it's from God, it will align with the full authority of God's word and it will be a beautiful application to the body of Christ leading to clarity, love, and the expansion of the kingdom of God the fruit of the Spirit realized and experienced. It will not lead to confusion, hurt, or pain ever because God's gifts don't do that when they are utilized in their intended manner. And so it must be tested because the recipient of this gifting might get it wrong because they might hear from the wrong place. If they happen to hear from the right place, so I'm studying the Word of God, I get unique insight, and it's actually accurate, the insight that I have, right? Wonderful. Or I get a word from God and it's actually accurate. It aligns with scripture. Well, I might have heard it wrong. It came in. It's accurate. The truth is right. But I misunderstand it. I apply it wrongly. So when I communicate it to you, it doesn't come out so right. Because I'm thinking about it wrongly. So you better test it so that it's not wrong. Or I understand it rightly, but I communicate it badly. I do this with my wife all the time. I have a perfect thought in my head that I want to tell her. I tell it to her in a perfect way, except that I realize as the words leave my mouth, it doesn't come out so perfect, does it? So she goes, I can't believe you just said that to me. I go, I didn't say that to you. I said this. She goes, no, you specifically said this, and then you say these next words. Well, I didn't mean it that way. See, I had rightly thought about it, but I had miscommunicated it, and so she received it rightly as a wrong. You understand? And then I had to go back and clarify my communication. Oh, you're right. I did say that, but I meant this. And then there's a third option where I rightly understand it, I rightly communicate it, and the recipient wrongly interprets it, right? So this time it wasn't me saying it badly, I said it well, but she uh, misinterpreted it, and so she goes, I can't believe you said that. I go, no, 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 listen again. I said exactly what I was supposed to, you're hearing wrong, and then she has to go, oh, you're right. You did say it correctly, I'm hearing wrong. 
So in prophecy, it's the same thing. I receive something from God through the inside of his word or through something the spirit gives me. I might interpret it rightly and communicate it rightly, but you might hear it wrongly. Oh, I might interpret it incorrectly or communicate it incorrectly. So what do we need regularly? Anything said should always be tested by those that are also gifted in unique insight into the word of God. The others who have the gifting of the prophetic. That's what Paul said. Every prophecy should be tested by those who are prophetic in the church in terms of gifting. And so it should always be tested. If it is always tested, then it, can, it, it does not need to be despised. It does not need to be feared. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 20 and 21, Paul actually writes and says, do not despise the gifts and do not despise the gift of prophecy. It ought to be something that is beautiful but never misused. So what about tongues? Tongues, I don't have to define it for you particularly, I'm just gonna give you the three mainstream uh, expressions of tongues that, are, that, that we have found in scripture. One, it is a known language on this planet that the person speaking doesn't understand. So in other words, I speak English, I don't speak German, and suddenly I'm speaking, and oh my gosh, it's German coming out in fluency, and a German person can go, you're speaking German, how do you do that? I, go, I don't know, God gave me the supernatural ability to communicate with you in German right now, so I'm having some fun with that, right? So it's a known language, but I don't understand it and I don't know it. Or it's an angelic language, in other words, it's not a language that this planet knows and it's been given for a particular purpose and if in prayer language it's for uh, the spirit praying and if in proclamation it's for clarifying truth and then someone will be giving a supernatural ability to understand that angelic language, not a feeling. They'll actually hear it and go, sounds like English to me and then it'll be beautiful. And then third, is the prayer language. Not a proclamation in public, but a private prayer language for some, not all. We're not all supposed to have these gifts, remember? And it is utilized for the building up of the body like prayer is. Prayer is done quietly in your closet. I don't know you're building us up, but you are building us up by praying for us, okay? So those are the three possible um, uh, expressions of tongues. So which are right and which are not? Here's our understanding of scripture. All of them are right. They're all unique expressions of the gift of tongues. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 12, 10, various kinds of tongues exist. Now some would say that means there's lots of languages. No, in the context of that passage, Paul is unpacking the gifts, not languages, and he's saying in this particular gifting tongues, there are various expressions of this gift. Just like mercy might have various expressions or hospitality might have various expressions, tongues has various expressions. And we see all three of them present at Pentecost. Peter speaks his language, but everybody understands him. In other uh, portions of the book of Acts, someone suddenly is able to speak a language that he doesn't or she doesn't understand, but somebody else then does. So we know that one exists. 1 Corinthians 13, 1, it says, if you speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love. Now, some would argue, as I once did, that the word if there means if pigs could fly. So it doesn't mean there's actually a heavenly language. And that is possible. I might die and God might say, there was no heavenly language, bro. It was only these other ones. Then I'll go, God, well, it sure seemed like there was. And so I ran with that one and I studied it for real. So I believe, we believe, that there is an expression where you have a language you do not understand, but it is not a known language on this planet, and its purpose is exclusively to demonstrate clarity of God's truth through an interpretation in a supernatural manner so that the unbeliever and the church can see the authentication of the gospel. That will happen on occasion. It's not supposed to be regular. It's supposed to be once in a while because it's a powerful demonstration in God's timing when he wants it. 
And then uh, there is obviously in 1 Corinthians 14, 15, Paul saying, when I pray in the spirit, it's unfruitful to the mind, but then I pray with the mind and the spirit. So there is this prayer language that takes place. And he says, if you're in church and you're proclaiming and nobody's interpreting, shut it. And then what does he say? Go pray quietly in that language. That's okay. It's just not meant for public consumption. You with me? So we know that that exists as well. So Paul's teaching on tongues. Here it is. Not just in this passage, but throughout the council of scripture. In public settings, it is an unknown language, so it needs an interpreter. If you're going to proclaim in tongues, there's gotta be an interpreter, otherwise it's useless to the body and the unbelievers, okay? Never use it otherwise. It must be as a desire to build up the church and not to build up self. It should never be utilized if you're even thinking it might be because you think you're cool or because you think people will think you're cool. It should be with trepidation, responsibility, and humility. Otherwise, don't use it. It's not worth it. It's just not worth it. Number three, if you are using it in any public setting, including a prayer meeting that feels private because there's only a few people, but you're doing it in a proclamation way, loudly in other words, so that others are participating, they can't say amen, which is, it is true. In other words, they can't participate in praying with you, which means you leave them useless and you're praying in the spirit, which is useless if you're asking them to participate with you. So don't do that. And it is a sign for unbelievers, so if it is ever used and unbelievers walk out of here going, that was super weird and I'm never coming back, it was automatically misused. You with me? If it is used properly in any kind of public proclamation, then the person who does not know Jesus will walk out and say, though that was weird because it was supernatural and anything supernatural is weird, it was beautiful, powerful, and unbelievable. And then it has fulfilled its purpose. In a private setting, it is a private prayer language, but it ought not to be elevated above praying with your mind because both are important. So don't pray in tongues thinking, when I do that, God hears me better. When I do that, God might heal this person when he might not if I just ask him in English. When I do that, God is hearing things in me that I don't understand, therefore it's better than me just saying to him, um, excuse me, can I, can I talk to you about this? What Paul's saying is it better be fruitful here so it's beautiful to pray in the spirit in a language you may not understand but either ask God to interpret it then or if he's not interpreting it then let that be but also pray fruitfully with the mind because you can just ask God for stuff. One is not more powerful than the other. In fact, prayer is beautiful and powerful in English. And P.S. there are places in scripture where people are praying in the spirit in their language they know. So you, you don't just pray in the spirit when you don't know what the heck you're saying, okay? I can pray in the spirit in English just fine. And so that should be a beautiful part. So what does this mean for us? What does this all look like, right? So we know prophecy and how it functions, and it needs to be tested. We know tongues and how it functions. How does it play out here at Mosaic Church? From the prophetic, here's what we have done. We have an email set up called prophecy at thisismosaic.org. Prophecy at thisismosaic.org. We thought about other names, but that one just makes it obvious. That's what it's for. There it is, okay? If you feel while you're studying the word of God during a devotional time or you're jumping into something and God gives you unique insight and he tends to do that in your life on a fairly regular basis and you just know God burns on your heart, this is for the leadership of Mosaic or for Mosaic Church as a whole, then email, write it out in a paragraph and email it to us. You go, well, I don't want to write it out in the paragraph. That's hard. Well, then it's not real if it's too hard to write it out. Write it out and email it to us. Why? Because if we do it in a public setting like this, 
and you get up and you start going off on some kind of prophecy deal, God's giving me insight, I gotta be testing you right here. And if it doesn't go well, I'm not saying it's bad, I'm not gonna discipline you, but it's gonna be a little embarrassing. It's gonna be a little weird for you and me, because I'm gonna have to go, uh, I'm sorry, but that, that doesn't align, or I can't test that right now, because I gotta go pray through that, because that, I don't even, uh, that's, there's a little bit of foretelling in there, and this is about foretelling, not foretelling, then it gets all weird. So, the easiest way to have prophecy tested by the others in the church that are gifted in the prophetic and the people in this church gifted in the prophetic that we know of are those who have a unique ability currently to study this and communicate it in a proclamation that brings clarity and new life to this and applies it uniquely. So that's our teaching team right now. Not all of our teaching team are gifted in the prophetic. You can actually teach the word of God very well because you study well, very accurately, in a very proclamation way and not have the gift of prophecy. Just like you can be very hospitable and not have the gift of hospitality. Or you should evangelize even though you don't have the gift of evangelism. The gift of prophecy simply means it comes easy, very easy, and it doesn't take as much work. So some of us are that, and so if we get that email, we promise you this. We will read it. We will pray over it. We will test it against scripture. And if it aligns, then we will ask God whether it is in fact for the church. And if it is, then we will incorporate it in to the preaching somewhere or to some uh, space where we feel it's appropriate. Here's what we will not do. We will not announce the next week. Ladies and gentlemen, Joshua over there sent a prophecy this week. It was accurate and right. It's for the church. Josh, stand up. Thank you. You're amazing. Wow. Gift of prophecy. Who knew? All right. Let me read you the email from Joshua. about pro- That's never going to happen. So you see, we save you from the potential that you're doing this for some kind of self thing. You won't even know that we're using it. You might hear us teach a certain way and go, Oh my gosh, that's kind of what I said. And then you'll know, it bled its way in. We're not gonna send you an email back saying you pass. It wasn't wrong, so you're good. You don't have to lose sleep overnight going, oh my gosh, I've not heard anything. Maybe they thought I'm a false prophet. We don't. We just think sometimes we all misinterpret things and that's why we test them. And if it didn't work, it's okay. You heard something, it, it was either not of, from God and you, you were courageous or you heard it and it was from God but you communicated badly, that's okay. That's why we test stuff. We're not gonna send you an email back. Thank you, we got it, and we'll let you know if it passed. You trust God, you trust the leadership of this church, you trust the others who are gifted in unique insight into God's word, and we will utilize it appropriately when we see fit, when it is necessary. And then we give space for that gifting without creating a public spectacle that is inappropriate. If at any point in time we mature to a place where we think differently on this, we will let you know. For now, that is what we're gonna do, okay? On tongues. Okay, folks, here's the deal. There is in this church an expression of tongues that happen in prayer meetings. I know some of you are gifted in that, and you utilize it appropriately and carefully in private prayer. Thank you for doing that. Keep doing that. That's great. If you're gifted in tongues and you want to use that praying in the Spirit, by all means, remember, be fruitful with your mind also, and don't elevate the gifting above praying in English. Okay? Second of all, tongues here, when they are used in a public proclamation, we are going to demand an interpreter. If an interpreter does not show themselves, I'm gonna go inappropriate, not here, not now. So, don't try to utilize tongues in a public setting unless you are really, really sure God is telling you to do that. Because if there's no one that understands you, I'm gonna ask it to stop. If you ever have that feeling, you really feel that way, and you want to do that, 
be orderly about it. Wait until an appropriate space in the gathering. Raise your hand and I'll say yes. And you'll go, I'm super nervous, but I think God's asking me to do this weird deal. Then I'll go, okay, well, thanks for your courage. What is it God's? Then you'll say something and I'll say, can you just hold for a second? Did anyone understand that? And if, you, if they go, no, I'm gonna go, thanks for your courage, but now's not the place. Now, can I just be clear about something? In 13 years, God has never had anyone in this church stand up and proclaim in tongues. So if next week three of you have this feeling, I'm gonna be very suspect, you understand? <laughs> now hear me now. This is not a space to create spectacle or to draw attention to yourself. And if you do that, understand you don't answer to me. You answer to the creator and sustainer of the universe for potentially creating a mess in his body and that's not good, so you better be sure and I would recommend you check in with one of the teachers first if you really wanna be super sure. Then, if you stand up and tell me you can interpret if this ever happens, and it may never happen here at Mosaic, it hasn't for 13 years, it may never. God doesn't do this everywhere all the time. He only does it sometimes in certain places for certain reason, listen to me. If you say you can interpret, and I ask you, like do you understand what they're saying, and you lie to me, you lie to God. I just, I, I don't wanna be like overly dramatic about this, but I wanna be overly dramatic. You understand that if you do that, you are saying you understand something, like literally like you understand English, but you don't, and you're making stuff up, and you will be accountable to God for that about this shepherding body, and I shepherd this body with the other elders, and if we find out, that's not gonna go well. I'm not saying that harshly, I'm just saying, we wanna protect this body. We don't wanna despise these gifts, but we also never wanna see them misused. And when they are, we will shut that down in a heartbeat, because we are not interested in that. These gifts are given to us and should be desired by us for the building up of the body and the expanding of the kingdom of God and to love people well. And so it better be that way and we will watch for that as part of the testing. Now, if you have the gift of tongues and you are in a prayer meeting that is a public prayer meeting, but there is an appropriate time in that prayer meeting where people are praying privately. So we've had occasions where we're praying for someone uh, over, uh, you know, for their healing, and I'll hear someone very quietly whisper in their prayer language. It's not a public proclamation, it's a private moment. That's appropriate. Just don't make it public by getting all loud on me. Because I'm gonna go, hey, quiet it down. This is not for us, this is for you and God. If you're here worshiping during a worship song, and God leads you to do that, to pray in the spirit in that way, then that's okay. Just don't disrupt the person next to you. I do that sometimes, but in English, okay? So I, I, we were worshiping and I'm just moved and I'm like, God, th thank you for your love. I don't go, God, thank you for your love. And then everyone's like, what just happened? We're singing oceans, you can't do that. <laughs> so I do it quietly, I don't disrupt because it is a private moment in a public setting. It is not a public moment. So when it is a private moment, that's okay. Just keep it a private moment and don't make it public. And if you check your heart and secretly you're doing that because you're hoping the person next to you hears you and thinks you're cool, then shut it because it's dangerous territory. It's an idol and you ought not to use it. Okay, so you understand in our setting how that works. The reason we're doing this is partly because Paul put it in 1 Corinthians 14. I don't want to come up with this stuff myself. He just said, there it is, so I'm teaching on it. And second of all, because we don't want this place to be a place of bondage.
where we are either bound to the gifts, elevating them to a place they don't belong, and misusing them for stupidity that puts everybody off and freaks everybody out, but we also don't want to despise them just because they can be misused. That would be like me telling you this. Money is dangerous. You might spend it on material things you shouldn't have, and you might go into debt, so give it all away. Then you're free. That would be, that would be crazy. What I need to tell you is know that it's dangerous, therefore be a good steward of it and use it carefully. And when you don't, repent quickly and understand that's serious business. And that's what I'm doing with the gifting because that's what Paul did. I'm excited to see what God is gonna continue to do here as we continue to strive, here it is, for freedom to be expressed and to love well by the fruit of the Spirit. And we will desire the gifts and desire circumstances and desire relational dynamics and desire resources for the sake of the expansion of the kingdom of God, the building up of the body of Christ, and the redemptive story of the gospel to make God beautiful and the gospel beautiful. And as long as we do that, this will be a powerful space in our church. Don't misuse them if you have them. And if you're not sure, tread carefully. And if it ever goes badly, just know that we will handle it well. So if you're here and you feel handcuffed, but I want to like, no, I need a church where I can just like get up and do the tongue thing. Then one, this probably isn't the place for you. And two, can I, can I challenge you further than that? Maybe it is the place for you, but you need to realize that the fruit of the Spirit is patience and self-control. And when it is tested well, we keep you safe and the church safe. And if you're here and you go, I don't even believe these gifts exist anymore today. And now I'm in a church that's going to start speaking in tongues. <laughs> Take a deep breath. That's not going to happen. Not here. Not on my watch but I would challenge you, maybe you are bound by a despising of the gifts because you've grown up either seeing them misuse or you grew up in a theology that said they don't exist, go study it again. And if you still land there, then here's the deal. Folks, this message isn't about whether the gifts are or are not in play. This message is about what Paul started and ended this chapter with. Pursue love and do everything for the building up of the body. So you can still be here and say, Renaud, frankly, I don't think these gifts are in play today. And I'll say, great. Well, then it's good because then you don't use them and that's okay. And if they're ever used here inappropriately, you come tell me. But if not, then take a deep breath, smile, and just go, well, at least it's being used in a loving manner that's building up the body and moving the gospel forward. And if that's happening, well, then by golly, it's not such a bad thing when it is tested against this. And this is how we live in freedom. Let's pray. God, thank you for your extraordinary love for us, for the way that you've gifted us uniquely, each one of us, with a myriad of gifts that we utilize not for ourselves, but for your glory and for the building up of the body and the expansion of the gospel into the world. So God, whether we have gifting in the supernatural with hospitality or wisdom or uh, administration or faith or teaching, or whether we have tongues or prophecy or miracles or healing, you know, whatever it is, whether it has a a supernatural expression or a natural expression, would you measure our hearts by the fruit of the Spirit, which begins with love? And may we always use them carefully, according to your word, in humility for the building up of the body and the expansion of your kingdom to the outer worlds around us. Give us insight to know when they're used well, when they should be used, and give us insight when they're used badly so we can quickly and gently correct that and not be a place that misuses the beautiful gifts you've given us that should be tools to pursue love, loving you and loving others. God, we do love you. We are grateful for this teaching that Paul wrote to the Corinthians so that we could learn from it. 
Help us to be good discerners of all that you're doing in our midst. And may we see you manifest in this place, not through the gifts, but through the way we love, the way we handle orphans and widows and the destitute, the way we dare to go into hard places to be redemptive on your behalf, and the way we live our lives in our relationships, our resources, and our circumstances so that we would be known as a body of love and not a body of foolishness. Make us strong for you. We pray in Jesus' name.